0: Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman and child that calls this church family home to be a part of connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. I hate to be a downer, especially in this season of church momentum where there's so many wins, so much life, so much new opportunities. It's a great, exciting season to be a part of this church family. But that's not where we find our disciples this Sunday. This weekend, we're in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Uh, This is not a rosy season for this group if you're, you're someone that watches the show The Chosen, this would be a collection of episodes that feels really heavy and hard to watch. We're in Mark chapter nine, coming off the transfiguration, coming off the remarkable revelation for the three that Jesus invited to come with him of, of a divine foreshadowing of his greatness and his glory and his ultimate purpose. But just like they returned down the mountain and came back to quite the scene, in this series of the Gospel of Mark, we're journeying along with them. And in today's case, we're journeying back to the remaining nine, the disciples that had not gone up with Jesus on the mountain. And we don't know what the conversation among the nine was like when Jesus and James and Peter and John went up the mountain, but there's a chance that maybe one of them felt bitter left out. Jesus took these three and, and here we are. And, and maybe they're trying to still make sense of what Jesus has been saying and, and teaching lately in this new way that what it means for him to be the Messiah actually means a lot more like suffering and dying and being rejected. But the nine remain behind and from what we can piece together from the rest of this account, they very soon would have their hands full. Because something was happening while the transfiguration was happening. The transfiguration was happening and these nine men that remained behind were met with a dire critical need. A father approaches them and somewhere along the line, he had heard about this remarkable Jesus movement with great signs and wonders and he wanted to come and bring his dire need. The rest of the passage teaches us all about this father's need, even though we read about it later in the father summarizing what had happened for Jesus. So I'm going to take the quotes that this man eventually says throughout this passage about his son's graphic condition. Because I want us to hear straight from the mouth of a desperate father. He says to Jesus, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Jesus asks him, how long has he been like this? And he says, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. This boy has greatly suffered. This is no sheer epilepsy, unable to even speak and explain his agony to his own father. And on top of that, much more destructive tendencies take over, throwing him into fire, throwing him into water. How would a father feel? Is there anything you wouldn't do? Anything you wouldn't try to help your beloved son avoid this kind of agony and harm and destruction. And when he had the opportunity, this father brought his son with him to encounter the famous healing powers of the great Jesus. But all he could find when he arrived there was nine of his disciples. Maybe they could help. If anyone could do anything, this father was desperate for his son. Have you ever been desperate? Not a fun place to be. Now back to the nine. While they awaited Jesus and the other three on top of the mountain, this father's desperate need came to their attention. And they decided that they were gonna take action. They they decided they were up to the task. See, the thing is, they hadn't only seen Jesus perform miracles and signs and wonders, and heal people from unclean spirits like this. They had done it themselves. Go back to chapter 6, verse 13, when Jesus sent out his disciples, his apostles, with his teachings and the power, the authority, to cast out demons. They hadn't just seen Jesus heal people. They had done it. So maybe it was Andrew that tried first, but somehow nothing seemed to happen. The boy remained mute. Huh, must be an off day for him. So Bartholomew maybe stepped up next, gave it a shot. Nothing doing. Thomas, nope. Maybe like the proverbial sword in the stone, all nine gave it a shot. Becoming more and more desperate, but no matter who it was, no matter what they tried, the boy remained mute and oppressed. And the father's heart must have absolutely dropped. For years, he has watched his boy suffer and longed to hear his voice, his boy's voice, cry out to him with words, not just cries of agony. And he had thought that there might be a chance in bringing his son to this Jesus movement, that there might be some freedom, might be some kind of healing. But no. See, this is tough, heavy stuff we're entering into in this environment today. And it's not just the agony of the father. And it's not just the suffering of the son. That It also finds us in a tough, heavy environment this morning with the state of the nine disciples. They haven't exactly been on a ministry wind streak. They've been struggling and frustrated that it appears that they just aren't getting what it is that Jesus is trying to teach them. There's a clear disconnect. And not only that, but, but now he's talking about the view of the Messiah is not all the pomp and circumstance and fame and influence that you guys envision. In fact, it looks a lot more like rejection and death. And then they they are met face to face with this need, and they can't do anything about it. Despite their best intentions, their best efforts, a distraught father and a suffering boy, and they can't do anything about it. This is when ministry doesn't work. This is when ministry doesn't work. Have you ever had a season like that? (laughs) We're kind of, uh, we were laughing about it before service because we're kind of metaphorically having a season like that with these TVs on either side of the stage. (laughs) I know you noticed because the reality is we want lyrics, to be on the side of the stage. We want to help people know the words and engage in what we're singing. And Jamie Jensen and her family has been doing such a great job all month long trying to address the issues. And I promise you, we tested out for the entire week. Nothing wrong, nothing happening. You show up on a Sunday morning and it's done. Okay, by the way, I want us to pause for a second for the Jensen family and for Jamie back there. Can we thank them for all the love and work they've been doing? (laughs) It's one of those situations. I saw them here last night. The best intentions are there. The best efforts are there. That's like what these disciples are doing. Their intentions weren't bad. Their efforts weren't bad. It just didn't work. Well, geez, Pastor John, thank you for dropping the negativity on me today. I know this can feel deflating. And in fact, the disciples would say, (laughs) that's an understatement. But here's the thing, if we only skip over the parts of the Bible that don't give us the good feelies, then we're just looking for a good times God, a Dr. Feel good God. And the God that we serve is way better than that. Let me say that again. We don't just serve a Dr. Feel good God. The God that we serve is way better Than that. So let's see where he goes with this. Jesus and the three disciples with him, eventually they come back down the mountain. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher brought to you my son. And we know from what we read earlier, the, dis, the state of the agonizing, tragic condition of this man's son. And then he later says, so I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he said to them, think about who them is. He said to them, "O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. See, we're kind of taking this account like it's, it's happening in slow motion. Lots of details here. Even in what's called Mark's breathless, fast-paced gospel, this account really Slows down. Jesus is intentional. First, let's look at Jesus' lament. His word choice draws from prophetic laments found in Deuteronomy 32, 5 and Jeremiah 5.21. And he finds sorrow and ineffectiveness among the lack of faith of the disciples and the crowd and the scribes. He's not just directing his remark of faith faithless generation to just the nine disciples because in that case, the term faithless generation would be an odd term to use. The struggle with faith was spread across all souls within earshot. And that struggle with faith clues us into one of the most important aspects that God is interested in here. More on that in a bit. Next to the boy. This poor boy is not just suffering from epilepsy. There is a destructive, oppressing power in his life that he can't shake. And don't miss what happens when when the evil, destructive power comes into the presence of Jesus. What happens? Violent, convulsion, resistance, because Jesus is on the scene the powers that steal, kill, and destroy are still subject to Jesus's authority. I heard a cute line in a song the other day. It said, the things that I'm afraid of are afraid of Jesus. And don't skip past this. The unclean spirit knowing who Jesus really is isn't faith. Does the unclean spirit, when he comes in, into contact with Jesus, does he know who's he, who he's in the presence of? He knows exactly who Jesus is, without a doubt. But that isn't faith. Demons knowing who Jesus is, the crowds knowing who Jesus is, the people of God knowing for sure who Jesus is, isn't faith unless it develops faith. Unless it develops a soul change. Doesn't happen in the demon. Doesn't happen with the crowds. Will it happen with the father? Will it happen with the disciples? So the passage lingers and the slow motion pace just continues. Because rather than just healing, I love this, at the moment that the boy is shaking and convulsing on the ground, probably foaming at the mouth, What would you expect a loving Jesus to do? Reach down and heal him right there. What does Jesus do? Let's keep going. If what we're encountering today is when ministry doesn't work, the point isn't just making it work again. Much like the Father, we're probably waiting to get to the good part, the healing When are we gonna get to the good part? When's Jesus gonna fix all the wrong that the disciples had done? But that's also very convicting for me. Maybe Jesus is getting to the good part and it's way past our mere efforts of willpower, trying to do things on our own. How am I defaulting to that? When am I trying to engage in efforts of ministry Based on familiarity and experience that I've had in the past. And at some point, I kind of pause and go, uh oh, I forgot to pray. <laughs> not merely the mechanical words of prayer, but the heart orientation, relying not on my power, my ability, but God's. When I say God is not just a Dr. Feel Good God, I don't imply that He doesn't care about our needs or our frustrations, or that he's somehow less good than a doctor feel-good God would be. I mean he's better. Thank God that he's not just about taking broken things and fixing them. He's about so much more. So he lingers with the father in order to get to his point. The father pleads with him, if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us. You can, just, you can just hear the emotion dripping from the pleas of this father. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus can heal. We've seen it time and time again. The demons know that. But while people are understandably most concerned about the urgent pressing needs, getting ministry when it's broken to be fixed and work again, the things that are screaming for our attention, or in this case, not able to scream, Jesus is after a surpassing healing. Not just for the boy, for the father, for his disciples, that meets people right where they're at in their suffering, and refine something somehow even better than just healing. And immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. One of the most beautiful professions of faith in the entire Bible. I believe, help my unbelief the father, even in all his desperation after seeing the disciples rendered powerless, still confesses belief in Jesus's ability to do the impossible and then leans even more into him and says, and help me develop a more firm faith. I'm here, I've come to you because I believe all things are possible for you and I've brought my boy and I know that I need your help in order to heal my son. And simultaneously, I see that in order to heal my son and help my son, I need to grow in my faith with you. Would you help me with that too? Do you see how beautiful this is? Maybe a prayer so many of us are raising up in desperation before God right now Faith, tested, tried faith, but still imperfect, developing faith. I'm here, I'm, I'm praying to you, God. I'm, I'm here at church. I've come to this ministry or surrounded myself with people of the church in my life. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that. And yet I see that I need help developing a more firm faith, a more solid, gritty faith. Would you help me with that too? That is a beautiful prayer that can only, by the way, be found in going through trials. You're not going to find that prayer without suffering. This is why we don't just skip on to the good feely stuff about Scripture. You find even better, more refined, more valuable, and vulnerable stuff here. Verse 25. and he arose. So with that last sentence, we're we're turning the corner here out out of the sorrow and into an incredible miracle. But before we get there, the father, the heart of the father has one more deep fall. What must it have been like amidst all the drama of this day, all the disappointment of this day, for Jesus to arrive on scene, to have this conversation with him, even after his great, beautiful profession of faith. Jesus, I prayed to you the right prayer. Is there any better prayer than I believe? Help my unbelief. And what happened was my boy is lying there as though dead. Now you and I go, the story wasn't over things aren't always what they seem, right? We're so smart. (laughs) So if that's the case, preach that to your souls in the midst of our struggles. Preach that to your souls in the midst of our doubt. Because you know what? Things aren't always what they seem. And Jesus isn't done with the story. This day that, that had been so mired in sorrow for the father and his boy, was now the, the absolutely defi- uh, divinely appointed day that they would walk into unspeakable brightness of future. An entirely new kind of life for this father and his boy, filled with all kinds of hope and words of affection, now not just from the father to his son, but from the lips of the son to the father all because Jesus isn't just interested in the screaming need. He is also interested in growing great hope for the future and security for the future. Did you catch what he said when he cast that demon out of the boy? He said, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. On my authority, Jesus says, your future is secure. And not just that, but your your future is secure upon my authority. To the destruction and the oppression that has overwhelmed you, I say, get out and stay out. And for the God that somewhere has the tagline, as if all that were not enough, he also sends a father Away with a renewed sense of faith in what it means to believe and seek God for a growing, developing belief. The moment that the boy's body responded to Jesus's touch, verse 27, even though it had appeared though as though he were dead, Jesus raised and restored him. All of this is a great foreshadow to the whole life purpose Jesus is trying to get his disciples and all the people to see and understand. Just like he will be dead as though dead, he will be raised to walk in a new kind of life. It's like everything he does in this season has a ring, an echo, a foreshadow of the pain and the death of the cross of Good Friday and the victory of the raised and restored life on Easter. Because people of God, if we get that, if we don't just know that Jesus is Lord, but we also believe that he has the power then and now, I love the prayer that we were praying during worship earlier. He's not just the living God 2,000 years ago. If we believe that he still is who he says he is, and it generates faith in us to say, I believe and help my unbelief, then we will go nowhere else for power in our life. Nothing else comes close to this kind of authority. I believe and help my unbelief. And so privately, he turns to his beloved disciples, the majority of which are still confused about ministry not working, It's what this ever-patient, ever-gracious, even relentless God loves doing, turning and teaching and teaching and teaching his disciples. That's why we model our lives after that. I want to come back. I want to learn again. We're going to see it in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32, chapter 14, verses 28 through 31, and especially chapter 16, verse 7. So if you're, if you're going deeper in your connection groups this week uh, with our bonus resources that we offer each week, you're going to dive in deeper to that. But let's finish off today's passage. Verse 28. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. When Jesus says this kind, some people take that to mean this type of demon, this type of supernatural power. I think it's more like this nature of evil, your willpower is ineffective against. This kind of power, this kind of thing that you're coming up against, sheer willpower in and of itself is ineffective. You need the power of God. And the implication is that they had been trying to make ministry work just without the power of God. Just like Jesus' focus with the Father was on faith, so his focus with the disciples is on their faith. Not just giving you the power to go do ministry, you need to be connected and relying and dependent on me. So getting ministries to work again and meeting needs is what we're primarily concerned with, right? When ministry isn't working, getting ministry to work again and meeting needs, that's what we're primarily concerned with. God is even better than that. I see compassionate love all over the way Jesus handles this tough, heavy season with his disciples and the desperation of a father with his son. I see him meeting their needs right where they are and loving them too much to just leave them there. So for the heart that's hearing my voice today that is desperate to be found, that is desperate to be seen by Jesus, that is desperate for Jesus to bring his chain-breaking freedom, he sees you. He sees your need. He meets you right there. And he is even better than just fixing whatever your need is. He's building faith in you. He's unlocking an entirely unforeseen, bright future for you. So just hold on sweetly to that father's profession. I believe, help my unbelief. And he will and for the Christian life at work, for the ministry volunteer and and the disciple and even the pastor preaching to myself here and others like me, whenever there is a season of ministry not working, first ask yourself, how do I know if it is working? What's my definition of working? Is it solely results-driven? Or is there something else that God's maybe cultivating in me and through me? Or maybe, as was the case with the disciples, ask yourself, Have you taken for granted the power entrusted to you? Have you come to believe it's yours and that you can manipulate it and use it whenever you want, however you want? The things you are facing are too powerful for you to come against just on your own power. You need God's power. How? How do we do that? How do we, how do we realign our thoughts on what's working and what's not? How do I make sure that if I'm living a life of ministry, I'm actually doing it in God's power and not my own? One word, prayer. Prayer. And that can look many different ways with many different forms. Some of us journal, some of us walk, some of us pray in closets, some of us pray in small groups. Some of us pray in our cars. Some of us pray one word prayers, help. Some of us pray scripture-led prayers. Some of us pray worship song-led prayers. All kinds of different forms. Prayer is not one size fits all. Spend efforts towards leaning into God in prayer. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever's gonna draw you closer to him. That's where the only power that makes a real difference is found. And I'll tell you that ministry without it and faith without it won't work. For Jesus, Good Friday is only getting closer. Probably less than a year away at this point. His mission is clear. Things are going to get harder. (laughs) Somehow, for his disciples, things are going to get even harder, guys. He knows he's gonna make it to Good Friday. And he knows he's gonna make it through Good Friday to Easter Sunday. The question for the disciples and the question for us is this. Will we be with Jesus when it gets harder? Will we depend on him? I'm gonna ask the worship team to join me and help us lean into prayer that is worship song led. Depending on God, professing that we need you, God, is better than we can even fathom. Better than even a God that would just meet our needs and that's it. Paul said in in Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. That makes me just wanna to preach to my soul. Do you understand that he is for you, that he is with you, that he is even better than all that you can ask or imagine? Bring whatever you got to him and trust him in faith. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.